0: Welcome to Books and Beyond, with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a no mai, haere mai, kia ora. welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inuka. Kia ora, Kiorana, Alison. Well, look, we've just celebrated Cook Islands Language Week, Epetoma or Te Reo Māori, Kuki, Airani 2021, with the Auckland Libraries. We've been um, trying to channel a bit of that beautiful Aitutake sunshine mm. into the grey Auckland skies mm. as those southerlies have been hitting us hard this week, haven't yes. they? it's
1: been very chilly, <laughs> very chilly. Now the theme of um, this year's celebration was, now I'm going to give my best crack at mm. this pronunciation, is Atuitua ia o ki te oneone tōku ui which means connect me to the soil of my ancestors. Now, this is a call to bring young people um, of the Cook Islands um, back to the language and culture of their own Fano and their heritage. Now, Auckland Libraries Collections can definitely help you with that. Um, you can browse the catalogue for um, items for your tamariki in Cook Islands Māori and, of course, in many other Pacific languages. So you'll find those in some libraries for browsing and on the catalogue for requesting to any library.
0: Sounds good. And you can always ask the, the staff at your local branch help. Absolutely, they'll help get you there. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about what we've been reading and also what's on our massive to-be-read lists. <laughs> and we've also um, got an explanation as to why our TBRs have blown up exponentially over the past week. <laughs> the past week or two, yeah. so,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Well, my first book to feature today is um, Remote Sympathy by Catherine Chidgy. This was published last year, and you may remember um, Catherine Chidgy from um, her Ockham winning The Wish Child from uh, probably about four years ago now. now, this uh, Remote Sympathy is set in Nazi Germany again. Um, this time it's set in and around um, Buchenwald, which was a forced labour camp uh, in Germany during World War II, of course. And um, it's also set in the, uh, in the neighbouring town of Weimar. Now, this is a really compelling cautionary tale about the perils of willful obliviousness. And it's told by those who were there. So from the German perspective, but from few different German voices. So in this book, you've got four main narrative voices uh, and they tell their stories in chronological order. Um, they're telling them through letters, diary entries, and there's also an interview transcript from 19, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's from basically post-Nuremberg trials. Now, each one sort of keeps a little bit of distance from the horrific events. So this is not a, um, it's not a particularly graphic book if you're thinking about um, concentration camp as um, a subject, um, but there's, there's an element of distance, which I think comes in with that remote sympathy mm. side of it, um, whether it's for sheer survival or self-preservation or even self-service in some cases. So our main characters, um, we have political prisoner who's Dr. Leonard Weber. Now he's been separated from his Jewish wife and daughter, and he's the inventor of a machine that is intended to cure cancer by using electrical impulses. Then you have our senior camp administrator, Dietrich Hahn. Now, he manages supplies and logistics for the rapidly growing um, population at Buchenwald. Especially this is the um, the last half of the war. So mm. it's really ramping up, as you, you may um, know from previous reading mm. and uh, study. Um, Dietrich's wife is also a character here. So Greta Hahn and her son, they live near the the camp and they live this sort of cushioned, um, blinkered life um, of privilege right next to the camp, kind of uh, ignoring what's going on right Mm -hmm. under their very eyes. Now you've also got... um, you've got this uh, fourth voice that comes in too and that's the the thoughts of the a thousand Weimar citizens um, who live in the town right near the village now they're sort of a Greek chorus that passing judgment and spreading rumors about what's going on at the camp um why prisoners are in there and why they perhaps deserve to be in there. So, yeah, it's um, that's a bit of a wake-up call, and it's um, based really on some um, first-hand accounts of American soldiers walking Weimar citizens through the camps in the days post-liberation. Uh, um, and this is well documented, um, with many, many people in the town still not really believing what mm. was going on, um, even though they are right, right there in front and of seeing them. it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's um it's a very very well written story. Um, you've got these sort of first hand descriptions of all the logistics of camp life and the finances that need to, needed you know to keep the Nazi war machine rolling. You know, with this thinly veiled um, yeah, situation going on behind the the scenes really, um, and of course we know that that's happening across Europe at this time. Now, when Greta Hahn becomes ill with a suspected tumour, Dietrich arranges to have Dr. Weber come and visit the family home under subterfuge. And he is treating, going to treat her with his sympathetic vitaliser machine. So mm. that's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Now, Weber's really desperate for news of his family because he's separated from them and he's trying to get a bit more control. So he actually um, sort of uh, keeps the treatments going, even though he's got this... You know, he's pretty much 99% sure that his machine actually doesn't work. Mm. But for his own self-preservation and to try and um, help the situation with his um, his own family, he kind of lets the story play out that, that Greta is getting better for everybody. Mm. Very interesting. Um, so they're in this really interesting compromised sort of a situation there.
0: No. And you can understand, I was just going to put mm. in there, you can understand why he would do that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Even though it's unethical, but I mean, it was a hugely ethically questionable time. Completely, <laughs> completely. Yeah.
1: And really, this is his only chance at, at um, any kind of measure of control over his own mm. destiny and that of his family. So he's really um, trying his best. and. And uh, as part of his work, he also sometimes gets extra food. And so there's this really interesting kind of tension mm. behind the fact that he's being um, given better clothing to be able to come into the house. He's being given food. And of course, he's then going back into the camp with his fellow prisoners. Mm. Really, mm. really fascinating. Um, her writing is so beautiful. It's very sensory and evocative. She's done a great job of building tension. I mean, obviously, we kind of know how this story ends in some ways. um, But she, she sort of, um, yeah, she kind of slowly pulls back the veil on what's actually going on at the camp um, as you go along. And she's got, she's an, an incredible scholar. So she does extensive research on the ground and back here in New Zealand. And she's kind of blended fact and fiction in a really um, detailed and fresh way of um, looking at World War Two. Really, I mean, it, this this story is broadly familiar, but the way she she treats the subjects is just so fresh, you know, and so so valuable. Yeah. Oh, it's fabulous. it's a really huge book. Mm. It's five hundred plus pages, but I the amazing things is, is reads as a very fast book, or it did for me anyway, because it was so absorbing. Um, yeah. There's there's a really beautifully nuanced respect for her subject. And I think, you know, everyone should read this book.
0: Mm. Yeah, so that it does come highly recommended, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. Well, look, um, similar but different, of course. <laughs> um, I've been reading a book this week, also, that's also based in conflict, mm. um, in big conflicts, but in the later part of the 20th century. And um, this is the one that I alluded to last week, oh. and it's called um, The Last Great Road Bum by um, Hector Tobar, and it was published in 2020. Now, I loved this book. So, um the author um Hector Toba, he was born in Los Angeles in the 1960s mm-hmm. and he's the son of Guatemalan immigrants. Um he's had a long career in journalism and creative writing and in fact he's a Pulitzer Prize winner for journalism. So um this novel it's one of those um hybrid fiction/nonfiction mm. ones that you and I both really like. Mm. Um, And they do seem to be a bit of a a thing these days. Mm. So it tells the the story of a real life American adventurer and road bum, whose name was Joe Sanderson. He was um, an idealistic and restless young, young guy from the Midwest of America. And he hitchhiked around the world for about 20 years um, from the early 60s, and he died in Central America fighting with a Salvadorian rebel army. Wow. So there's no real spoiler alert by giving you that information. Mm. So now um, Joe Sanderson was trying very unsuccessfully to, <laughs> to write the great American novel. Um, he he really did rate himself as a writer and he thought of himself as another Hemingway. That's but, a common, common issue with young men, I think. Yeah, I think it might <laughs> be, actually. Yeah, and um, so Hector Toba sort of um, makes it pretty very clear that he was n- in no way, was he a Hemingway or a Kerouac or mm. any of those... <laughs> Sort of guys, but um he but he did have this remarkable twenty years on the road, and he happened to be there to witness nearly every major war and revolution around the world. So he was there for quite well-known battles in um, Vietnam, Korea, Nigeria, the Congo, the Middle East, and Central America and and more. He just happened to be everywhere. Wow. Um, And also he was witnessing the growing civil rights movement in his own country, the USA. Mm. Now, I'm going to use the word literally like a millennial here. (laughs) I was going to say he literally travelled the world on the smell of an oily rag, but almost literally. (laughs) He managed to talk his way onto buses, trains, cargo ships and, and often really dangerously overloaded aircraft Um, because he had virtually no money, you know. But um, he did acknowledge that his all-American good looks, you know, the all-American boy, (laughs) the blonde hair, blue eyes, these looks got him a long way in a very dangerous world. But he also knew that one day his luck was going to run out. Mm. So the book's... um, based largely on letters that he sent home to his mother in Illinois. Um, he was um, a meticulous correspondent, um, but his letters, they, they really did downplay the danger that he was in. Did I say I loved this book? Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I did. It's so fascinating. Yeah, it's um, you know, mostly quite an upbeat read. Um, I've always loved a road trip story, and but I found I learnt so much by reading this. The narrative is written in such a way it really helped me put so many historical events into context and into a timeline Mm, and things mm. that many of us will have heard of, you know, different battles and various hotspots around the world. You you could sort of put them into some sort of context. And also you get to see America's hand in many of these um, hotspots too. Um, You know, look, there's heartbreaking scenes such as the deaths of children. Um, But the writing um, of these parts, it's really exquisite. And I sort of felt that as a reader, you got the feeling of bearing witness to human tragedy. Um, And that also, at the end of the day, um, sometimes it's better to read and write about these sort of things than, than just ignore them sure, um, or sure. whitewash them from our collective memory. Um, it's a beautifully presented book. The front and end papers, if you put them together, um, they form a map of the world with a hand-drawn representation of Sanderson's journeys. Wow. Um, it's, and there's a few photos scattered through the book too, and these would be ones that he posted home to his mother. Mm. Um, and the other thing I loved about it, it's got quite a few really cheeky footnotes um, scattered throughout um, and they're written by Joe from Beyond the Grave. Oh,
1: in his voice.
0: Yes, in his voice. And he <laughs> criticises the author's version of events. Um It's mm, wow. a good one. It's, yeah, it's
1: It's He's almost like an ambulance chaser, isn't he? Or was, he, was yes. that the Hemingway part, really, that he was following and wanting to document
0: yes. war I, like the yeah. Spanish Civil
1: war for Hemingway.
0: Yeah, I think it was that. And he mm. was almost there in places just before something big happened. Wow. It was remarkable. Gosh. Yeah, highly recommended, too. Sounds mm.
1: so good. Well, I've got another one I can, yeah, highly recommend as well. Um, for um, one of my book clubs that I go to, I recently read Reservoir Thirteen. I've got Reservoir Eleven written oh. here. Thank goodness I caught that uh, by John McGregor. And this is a 2017 book. I don't know why this one. I took so long to get round to this one. It was a really big book in that year, um, but it could be because I I got the impression it was a crime novel. Oh. And it's actually one of those ones we were discussing last week, like Before You Knew My Name, where it revolves around a crime. And that's sort of the the kicking off point, but it's not actually a crime novel. So this novel um, opens on New Year's Eve. It's in an, uh, We're in an unnamed village in the north of England. A 13-year-old girl who's been visiting and holidaying in the area with her parents has gone missing on this night. Now her parents and the police and all the villagers are all searching for her that night and they continue um, searching for her as the days, weeks and months pass but it's actually in vain, you know, there's really no high nor here of her. Um, the case remains open but as the trail grows cold and there's no real clear explanation as to what's happened, the daily life in the village eventually returns more or less to normal. Um, her parents do stay on the scene for quite a while obviously um, trying to make sure that the um, the case remains top of mind for mm. um, local police. Now each chapter from the first onwards covers a year in the life of the village and the villagers in the aftermath of her disappearance. So there's 13 chapters, one for each year of her life. You get introduced to the wide cast of um, villagers who live there. You learn about their relationships with each other and with the their land and their, their place, and um, as you go, you're jumping from one household, one event, one scenario to the next and the next, on and on across the years, and you're sort of watching the the flow of just ordinary lives, and their changing of their life, those lives following the incident. The beautiful thing is that you get also the signs of the changing seasons um, of, you know, the built landscape and the natural landscape. You get all those important mark uh, moments of the year um, which come back around again because you're following 13 mm. years' worth. Um, Christmas carol services, babies get born, you know, marriages happen, divorces happen, fundraisers, the jumping of the trout, um, the fox cubs are born, um, And all of those pleasure and pain points of those village life as well, things like um, church committees and allotment management and (laughs) the local pub and the school teachers coming in and out. Um, across the years, you you still get the presence of the girl um, and her disappearance rising up in the book at different times. So, you know, they're sort of triggered by um, sounds of a helicopter going over or you get a report of um, somebody who's dressed in summer clothing in a different part of the town and different things like this. Um, there's all these points of intrigue that, that keep coming up as well. So you've got... The reservoirs and the hills surrounding the town. You've got these gated caves through the hills. You've got um, a particular villager gets imprisoned, imprisoned by having um, for having sort of special interest pornography. Um, you've got a, a, a secret relationship between the missing girl and a local teenager. There's all these little mm. intriguing parts, but actually, it's really hard to pin down who and what and where and whether they are really coming into play or not. It was such a good book. It's a little bit hard to describe, but it was quite hypnotic because of that Mm. repeating structure of a year per chapter, and it has this beautiful, simple writing, but in a very clear-eyed noticing of all the little details that make up the whole picture. It sort of reads a bit like narration by a a neutral observer, but a kind of benevolent observer, I guess. Um, You know, it's sort of like an eye that sees all and focuses in, and then pulls out to a wide view. there's no judgment from the narrator. It just kind of accepts life as it is. Yeah, beautiful writing. Um, he's actually a professor of creative writing, John McGurger, and his books um, have made it to the book a long list three times so far. So, this is a great endorsement for his writing and his books. So, I'd really encourage you to try this one and try others by him. Wow, that sounds amazing, actually.
0: Well, now it's interesting that you talk about the book a long list uh-huh. because. Um, Now we come to our to-be-read list um, because it's Booker time again. It is. And um, the long list um, was just announced last week. And um, we're calling it a Booker's Dozen, so that means it's 13 titles. Mm -hmm. So... um, Gee, I don't know about you, but when the long list came out, it made me realise I've got a huge amount of reading ahead of me.
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, 13 titles from over 150 significant titles nominated. So there's always a few well-established authors in the list. You know, this time around, people like Kazuo Ishiguro it would be a good one to start with. Um, but there's always so many that come out of left field and catch you on the hop too.
0: Yeah, but I love that about it. It
1: is. It's always a lovely surprise.
0: Yeah, um, so and some of the um, titles they're they're not quite on our library shelves yet, but you should be able to um, get your name in the queue for the, for all of them. That's We right. do believe, yeah. So um, that's what we're um,
1: kind of advising. Able to do. That's right. Yeah, the, you can already get in the queue. Um, there are a few books that are, you know, some of these books actually are not even being published yet. So, Bewilderment by Richard Powers, who wrote The Overstory, is a good example of this. It's actually not published till September. Oh,
0: heavens.
1: But yeah. the, um, the catchment for the Booker Prizes goes up to s- the end of September for 2021 in terms of publication dates. So, yeah, I mean, we can't beat ourselves up too much for not having read every single book on that list. Yeah, especially <laughs> those ones that you <laughs> been... can't even get your hand on them yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, look, you can find the long list at Um, um but we'll be um, publicising them on our blogs mm. um, and our book lists as well. But, um, yeah, and um, it's the, they all look to be of exceptional quality and they're going to be massively popular with the punters. Yeah,
1: everyone likes to have a bit of an explorer and make their decisions, their yeah. own decisions, Yeah.
0: Mm. And then, of course, the shortlist of six books is going to be announced on the 14th of September, and then the winner is on the 3rd of November. That's right. So we've got exciting times ahead. But what we've done, we've um, actually got some reader-like suggestions for books that you might want to tackle while you're waiting to get hold of the longlist titles. And um, today we, I think, we'll have time to talk about two yeah. of the the Booker's dozen, and we'll give you some some reader likes as well. So, look, I'll start with um, now one that's um, made the long list. Um, it's called Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, um, and now this, um, I'm really excited about this one. Um, it's a book about. The intertwined journeys of two fictional women: um, an aviator, Marion Graves, who disappeared with her plane in 1950 while she was trying to circumna- circumnavigate the globe, and um, she, her journey intertwines with a Hollywood actor, Hadley Baxter, who plays Marion Graves in a biopic. Mm. So I'm wondering if Maggie Shipstead's taken inspiration from the real life Amelia Earhart story. Um, she was a glamorous aviator, aviatrix they aviatrix, used to say, yes. um, <laughs> who disappeared in a small aircraft over the Pacific in 1937. A um, lot of intrigue around that and conspiracy theories. Mm, true. But, um in the meantime, we're sort of thinking about some books that you could read while you wait mm. for this one. Um, I'd be inclined to try um, an earlier novel by Maggie Shipstead called Seating Arrangement, um, which was um, so that was published in 2012 and it was her debut novel. It's a bleak comedy of manners about three days of wedding festivities and dramas in a preppy New England town. The book wasn't universally liked. Um, in fact, one reviewer called it a modern-day Edith Wharton on Downers, which is quite <laughs> funny. Perhaps not her best work, but it'll certainly fill in some time for you while you wait. She <laughs> but, sounds
1: right up my alley.
0: Yeah, I know. I like the <laughs> thought of the drama. I'll look into that one. Um, another one I'd recommend is A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Um, oh, that was a that book works. of finalist as well mm. and that's also about two intertwined lives a young woman in um, Tokyo who's um really struggling with bullying and and everything and um she's trying to document the life of her great-grandmother who was a Buddhist nun um, who's over a hundred years old, mm-hmm. and then um, she has a, uh, finds a diary, etc. And then across the Pacific, we meet Ruth, who's an, a novelist living on a remote island, and um, she finds some things that wash up on the shore, um, in, including a Hello Kitty lunchbox. Yes, and um, we suspect that it's from the the devastating tsunami. But um, yeah, and so we get a and. Um, Tanglement. That's not a not yes.
1: a, a oh, word. On a, but two sides of the globe. Yes. Yes.
0: Um, other than that, I'd say Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, twenty thirteen. That um, sounds awful, but it's a really good read. Um, it was about a, um, a a woman who was born in nineteen ten in England, and um, the book shows different. It loops in and out and mm. shows different ways that she dies or might die
1: it right. sounds horrible but it's um,
0: it's really good um, then the other one I would try would be the Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert 2013 um, say what you will about Eat Pray Love but um, <laughs> this one is really exquisite and it's about coming of age in in the age of the Enlightenment um, 19th century and sure. um, yeah, so those would be three that I'd have a go at.
1: Oh, I think those are really yeah. good picks while you wait. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'll feature um, Take On uh, The Promise by Damon Galgut. Now, um, Damon Galgut is a um, fairly prolific author, well-known in his native South Africa and and now well-known globally as well. Now, the promise um, is focused on a white South African family, the Swartz. Now, they're gathering on the family farm for the funeral of their mother. Now, the younger family members um, really um, are sit uncomfortably with their own family's history and what they stand for. So, in particular, they, um, they are, con- have, are concerned with the failed promise that their mother made to give... Um, give a house to um, their maid, uh, Salome, who was promised that she would be given a house and land on the death of her her mistress, for want of a better word. Um, Now, as each decade passes past the death of her mother, the mother of the family, the promise remains unfulfilled. So what you have is three siblings moving through um, time and, and moving through the kind of new South Africa, and they get reunited over time, um, for various family funerals. So yeah interesting premise. That does look very interesting mm. doesn't it? Now while you wait for this one you might want to try um, The Good Doctor which is also by Damon Gulgit. Now we have got the book and the e-book of this one and it was a man booker winner in 2003. It does cover some of the same ground as The Promise. It's got that sort of old and New South Africa debating with each other, reckoning with the past and kind of trying to work towards a different future. Um, In this case, you've got um, a young medical graduate, Lawrence, who um, starts um, his, his professional life working at a rural South African hospital. Now, he's working under Deputy Hospital Director Frank and um, Lawrence is very young and optimistic. Frank is quite cynical, and then you have the other staff in the hospital who are kind of looking on in bemusement as they kind of start to form an uneasy alliance with each other. So you know, big metaphors, mm. personal relationships—pretty interesting, yeah. The other one I would um, d- suggest you go for is um, *Disgrace* by J.M. Coetzee. Now, of course, this is—he's um, pri- another Booker Prize-winning mm. author, and this is the title he won—the Book of Four. He's a legend of South African literature. Um, in this book, um, David Lurie uh, is a professor. He has an affair with a student. He's left jobless and shunned by friends when the um, affair comes out. And he retreats to his daughter's um, small farm and the, um, the family experience a home invasion, which really rocks their foundations. And there's a big change in power, power imbalance. Uh, there's a big switch in power structure for that family in the new South Africa. Mm very interesting a trigger warning there for sexual assault for this book though so that should be mentioned um yeah very very dramatic you will read this one and never forget it
0: that's a really powerful one isn't it
1: it really is mm. yeah I read it a long time ago now and I still think about that book so I think that is a ringing endorsement
0: yeah it's me too and um, it's really stayed with me that mm. so yeah so we've got some some good ones that people can have a look at while they're waiting for the the big guns yeah, to appear on the long list. And we'll do um, more um, on the long list over the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm looking
1: forward to exploring the book as does and a bit more with you,
0: Alison. Yeah, oh, it'll be really fun. We've got lots of reading to do. Well, look, to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. Take care and be kind to yourselves. Um, taki thank you for listening. And aere rā, goodbye until next time. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35 pm on 104.6 fm or anytime online at
1: planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond.